Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. All right, heroic efforts is the topic today, Chris. Um, you know, it's a fascinating topic when we think about what it means to be successful and we, as individuals, put everything that we have in ourselves into our jobs uh, and focus on a goal. And uh, even if we're doing it in a highly functional way, we've, we've found a flow and we're making it happen, uh, we can still be um, not delivering our best to the organization that we're serving uh, because we're focusing on heroic efforts that dist- distract us from the real payoff. Yeah. You know, I think about the difference between psychological heroism and structural heroism. And I think psychologically, like you said, we could do our best to take care of ourselves and stay in flow, but we're going to have these moments. Anybody pursuing any dream, any make, making any change, moving something forward, you're going to face resistance. You're going to find all of the ways that uh, it makes it hard, so to speak. You are going to have to be psychologically heroic, if you will, uh, not to not to not take care of yourself, not to force your way through things, but there's just going to be moments where you want to quit, where you're tired, whatever. I think of Phil Knight when his ribs would shudder and he'd hold them, you know, building mm-hmm. Nike uh, from all the stress and pressure. But then there's structural heroism where you you have this dysfunction and you take on so much outside of the zone of genius. And man... I am guilty, guilty. If people could hear me transport back in time talking about this 15 years ago, they'd be like, that's, that's what Chris does. This is DNA. <laughs> well, that's what we're always proud of, too. If we're, if we're high performers and we're very ambitious and we're curious, um, you know, that's what we focus on is how can we optimize our performance in the context of the job that we've accepted, the commitments that we've made. Um, but when an organization allows that to occur without focusing also on what it means to create leverage among players on a team and actually create that team dynamic, right? So when we think about um, heroic efforts, we're always juxtaposing that as coaches uh, for the leaders and people against the systems that exist, Right. So do we have a bunch of people doing their own thing? Extreme, right? A bunch of people doing their own thing in a random way. Or do we have a bunch of people who are organized and systematized and focused on best practices, always identifying and capturing what's working and sharing it with the team? So it's not just about what we can do for ourselves in that heroic stance. It's what we can do for ourselves in the context of the team 
and the shared goal and shared path that we are pursuing together. Mm. And that needs to be the new norm that we rally around. Uh, I read this a while back. I love it. You know, healthy businesses are built on normal efforts as opposed to, <laughs> you know, the Hail Marys, the, hero, the heroism and all that. And, and I recognize the log coming out of my eye on this, so to speak, as we talk about it. It's that I am that person who is, I, you know, I'm the leader, the entrepreneur, the founder, the visionary. I've turned organizations around, whatever. And, and I'm like, I'll carry it. I'll carry it. I'll carry it. I'm bringing a statistically improbable, heroic effort to bear. Um, what that means, though, is I can create unaware atmospheres where I think everyone else is going to be like that and they're going to approach it like that. And there's an analogy I need to come back to if I forget. So I'll just say bowling ball. But for now, um, you know, then you're saying things like, what's their problem? Why can't they figure it out? You know, why can't they get it or, or whatever that we say in these moments of frustration? And in reality, it's because we haven't defined it for them. There's not a clear description, role fit along or aligned with the measurements that we're seeking to achieve. We're trying to build an atmosphere of heroism. Dog eat dog ends up happening, right? Rather than a healthy, consistent, even if it is passionate, measured effort. Right, right. And so if we think, if we stay high level for a moment and we think about an amazing group of ambitious and curious people who are doing heroic things to help the organization achieve impossible uh, objectives, right? They're just doing amazing stuff and just taking down win after win after win. What that next level is taking that group and turning them into a leveraged team, right? Where now the sum is far greater, the whole is far greater than the sum of its parts, right? And then what's next? If we can, if we can move those heroic individuals into that team environment and generate that leverage, what's next for the organization? Mm. Once that happens, then they get to build a culture that's growth-oriented. They are right. zeroed in. They're focused. They are winning. And there's a, there's a fun analogy to use because it's easy, but you think about like football. Um, if we could talk about what happens in a lot of organizations – you have one person trying to be the quarterback and the receiver, and they're going to be the kicker, and they're going to so they're going to have a spot on special teams, and they're going to have a role in defense. It's they're trying to do too many things, and I get it. We, you know, both you and I are are guys who start things. We've worked in and with startups, and we understand what it means to build an org chart and have to put your name in a bunch of different boxes for a season. But you've got to know that can't last. It doesn't work. Um, and so then you'll never get to that, what you've described, that exponential growth culture where one plus one equals something greater than the sum of its parts. Right. And the, and the promise of that culture, if it's a growth culture, is that that enables the continued scalability of the organization. So as we add new people... Now the leader is supported, not only supported by the systems 
that are in place to support the team, but they're also supported by this cultural imperative, this growth culture that uh, is is fostered by um, and reinforced by the the team and every new person that comes into the team. So we're not we're not hiring people to figure it out like we were doing before heroic mm. efforts. We're hiring people for fit, and so it's fit for the job, it's fit for the team. It's fit for the culture, um, and now we have uh, now we not only know not only know what it takes to build that growth culture, but we now also know what order it has to happen in, <laughs> right? If you've got her- heroes, people engage in heroic efforts, and you want a unifying growth culture that everyone buys into and supports, you can't skip the team generation component. You have to invest in the systems required to align leaders and people to create that team so you can then foster a foundation upon which that culture can be built and nurtured and maintained over time. Yeah. And, and you know, if people are listening to this and wondering, um, what are some signs that I'm, I'm ripe for this change, that I'm going in the wrong direction, that I need to do some work on role alignment? I'll tell you two big flags we see all the time. One, you're comparing your commitment to the commitment of others. Now, it might be that you've got an issue where they're not as committed to you as you are, um, and, and it's on them. They're the problem in that. But if you've been leading that culture for any serious amount of time, let's say at least three years, you've incubated that culture. And, and the comparison that's happening, it's not that they're needing to be more committed. Number one, they don't have any oxygen to breathe, space to bring their commitment in because that leader is overfilling the room. They're tr- doing too much. They're carrying so much. It doesn't give other people the opportunity to grow up and own that commitment with the leader. Um you see that all the time. And then the second reality is um, what we've been describing already, these bloated uh, job descriptions. You, you are the kind of person who approaches commitment, if you're this kind of leader, who could have a dysfunctional environment, like it's a bowling ball. And you carry your mission like it's everything. And that tends to be what the top uh, in expression of commitment do. But a lot of the middle of an organization... They don't carry the mission like a bowling ball. They carry it like a tennis ball and they carry other things with it. They don't want to make the mission their whole world or their whole life. And that's okay. It's not bad. We have to know how to lead them too. And having the lanes that people run in that's very clear and tight and strong allows them to do that. That bowling ball, tennis ball concept, uh, by the way, I think I referred to it in one of our other episodes. It's from a book called Motivating the Middle. Um, And it's a book on actually how to grow fraternities and sororities on a college campus but the wisdom in it is genius for organizations. Right, right, right. Yeah, motivating the middle, that's where everybody is. Most people are, right? We've got that 2070 yeah. 10 rule from uh, Jack Welsh from years and years ago. Uh, yeah, motivating the middle, getting, the, getting folks from the middle to uh, that top performer status is really challenging. Yeah, and they're not gonna, and their top performer status is not gonna look the same. 
Like that's what I love about the work we do. That's what I love about the honesty of it. And that's a little bit of the critique that I think you can bring to the Welch model is um, not everybody wants to carry a bowling ball. They're just not built like that. It's not how they're wired up. And we have to learn how to empower them to carry the tennis ball with passion and focus. They're aligned in their role. It's connected to the overall measurements we're trying to hit. Go have fun. Play some tennis or pickleball, whatever analogy people need. (laughs) I love it. Well, we're talking about some pretty important stuff here. So for any listener who wants to take this and move forward with it on their own, Chris, what, where do they start? Well, the starting point, you know, obviously it's the leader has to get healthy. They have to understand what it means for them to be adaptive and resilient, but also honest about where their zone of genius is, what they actually do. I mean, the secret, I read this years ago, I love it. The secret to concentration is elimination. Uh, The kind of leader that we're talking to right now, when they shift into doing less with more focus and better intentionality, they're not winging it anywhere, they're going to have more impact. So they're becoming healthy in their leadership. They're not so insecure that they have to do too much. Because we see that as a a mark of honor or a badge to be proud of, when in reality... Mm -hmm. It's just an insecurity, and and I know that because I've walked that road, and sure. can still walk that road. You know, sure. so it starts with healthy leadership, and then it goes to a scalable team, getting right people, right spots, that alignment, and they're zeroed in in their roles. What's the inevitable outflow of that? This growth culture, um, where the sum is greater than the parts, and all that totals up at the highest level to something that matters. It's right. meaningful. Right. 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 So let's go, let's go, let's start with this idea of healthy leaders. So when you talk about, you know, this idea of um, having, having a little bit more patience and being focused on, um, you know, having the impact you're having on that, on everybody on your team, you know, the thing that I think about uh, and that we talk about a lot is this idea of, well, how do I as a leader provide myself or build myself the supports to make all that happen? Uh, and I know in a sales context, I'd like you to talk about more generic context, but in a sales context, we we want to make sure, we want to understand, you know, what kind of organization we've built, right? So how balanced or out of balanced is the organization as it's structured today in terms of the people that we've hired, the roles that we've identified, the roles we've filled? And then, and then we move toward this idea of developing a stabilized operating model. You know, mm. is there an operating model that everybody can aspire to? And do we have an accountability framework that allows us to uh, track what we do, how well it, how well we're performing, and then go back and tweak what we're doing? One of the challenges of, you know, having a team of heroes is that it's up to every individual to assess themselves and uh, do the hard work of understanding, self-coaching, do, understanding what they've done what they could do better, what adjustments they could make. Are they making the adjustments in the, in the best way? But if we can, if we can normalize that effort uh, into a unifying operating model and accountability framework that everybody can use, then we can, then we can, (laughs) then we can, we don't all have to be experts at that. We can then leverage the leader 
to help us get, you know, gather the insights and the information, and then also help coach us through the development that we're gonna that we're gonna benefit from. Yeah, all this makes me think of, you know, over the last twenty or thirty years, all the different ways people have tried to say, "This is how you should organize your company," and I'm not even gonna remember them all. Holacracy was one. Uh, you know, I used to like could rattle off ten or twelve of them, and studied them. And okay, is there wisdom here? Is there something here to learn from or pay attention to? And the way I would think about it is this: if you took three or four people that are sick, okay, and they're not healthy, and and whatever their level of maybe they're just mildly not healthy, not optimized, or maybe they're very sick, and and I said, Jimmy, I want to help make them better, and you were like, Great, Chris, what are you going to do? I tell you what I'm going to do. They live right now in a two-story home, all of them. I'm going to get them in a ranch home. And by getting them in a ranch home, I'm going to fix the problem and I'm going to get them better. It's like, you're just changing the structure. It doesn't mean they're going to get healthy. Well, that's what's happening all the time when companies try all of these, what they think are new ways to not organize a company. (laughs) And when the answer is really go first to getting the leaders in a healthy relationship with themselves, with others, understanding their insecurities, a process that guides them to that. Yeah, it's doable. You know, we do it. It's achievable. Um, You can measure it. You can even give a time frame to it. This is how long it's going to take. This is what it's going to look like to get there. We still got to do it. And I think what's really cool here is this is what really what we mean when – we say it all starts with the leader, right? So if our goal is team, you know, strong individuals, healthy leaders, you know, a great team, and then of course a culture that will last, um, it's really easy to say it starts with the leader. But if the leader's investing in getting healthy, then what's really cool is that can then be extended to the team. So once the once the leader is facilitating that focus on change and actually being the change right that they seek mm-hmm. they will have gone through that right so one of the things that we recognize is that you really cannot lead somebody down a path you're unwilling to go yourself so back to this idea if we, if the dream is a, a unifying culture that will last and we know that the path to get there is developing out our team then i as a leader have to take the first step I have to focus on the stuff I can do to improve the operating model, the work environment, the accountability framework, all the things that are, that I can use and to leverage my job. But I have to be able to do it in a way that says accountability doesn't attack me. It's not about attacking my ego or triggering my insecurities. It's giving me a chance to understand how I can do better. And if I can wrap my head around that as a leader, I can then then walk my teammates through that, and yeah. I can. Continue to continue to bring teammates into the team who appreciate that, right? I mean, yeah. Top producers want uh, insights. They want accountability. They want transparency because they want to find ways to get better. That's it. Well, that is, and that takes courage, and that's not easy, and it's it's leaning in when it's hard, and that is why right now, you know, I the way I view it. There's a number of corporate environments, companies, organizations that have just swung to the other extreme of cowardice. And, and I want to be gentle here. I'm not trying to be harsh, but I want to call it out with a lot of clarity. Um, on one extreme, you've got a cowardice that doesn't say, 
okay, where am I my own worst enemy as a leader? Where do I need to get better? Instead, they go outward with everything, mm-hmm. right? They don't go to the frameworks we're talking about. They don't go to the process we're talking about. Instead, you know, there's a lot of victimization or demonizing and or or Hail Marys. You know, we, well, we just need to get this one program in here and that's going to fix, you know, whatever. That silver bullet mentality. And the cowardice of that keeps you from paying attention to the fundamentals of who you are, your actions, your calendar, your systems, how you lead, how you interact with others, how you build the business, whatever. And and I get it, man. I mean, there. this is why I want to be careful and gentle here. When it's hard, I find myself daydreaming about those silver bullets, right? Easy, easy to do that. The other extreme that I'm seeing today, an attempt uh, that, that I think is cowardice to create a culture that's appealing, especially to younger audiences, is to create a culture or a value system that removes virtually all responsibility from the individual having to show up and do their part. Um, and that, that concerns me. I don't want to be like this curmudgeon old dude, you know, <laughs> but I do see the, this drift away from accountability. And I do see this drift away from, uh, hey, yeah, it's not going to be easy, but this is how you learn and grow. Instead, people can, you know, get away with a lot right now in the name of whatever it is they're struggling with. And we need to be sensitive to big issues like mental health and what it means for people to not be doing well and to go easy on themselves at the same time. And I know I'm speaking out both sides of my mouth on this. It is the challenge or the stress or the pressure that grows you. And learning to relate to it in a healthy way. You know, hey, we're on air recording this. I don't do this very often, but I canceled a meeting we have later today. Jimmy, why? I need to take care of myself, take care of a few things. That's okay. So it's not like we've got to be these, you know, hard, aggressive people. But this vacillation between these two extremes, how, how do you avoid that? You fill your life with courageous vision. You know, it's not that the market is my enemy. It's not that those people are my enemy. It's not that uh, the winds of change are my enemy. It's not that whatever happened to me, when I can accept I am my own worst enemy, all maturity starts there. And yes, you've had things happen to you that aren't fair. Yes, you've been a victim. Yes, we're all privileged at different levels and we wanna be sensitive to that human to human. We wanna be kind to each other, but for the leader, we want to be those kind of people that accept responsibility and say, I'm an owner me. Let me, right. if, if it's confusing, how can I get it more clear? Love it. Yeah. And, and uh, what's interesting is that oftentimes when we're working with leaders, all we ask them to do is just focus on the things that their gut is already telling them. Mm-hmm. And uh, we may use data to help them find the places to focus, but oftentimes they're just reinforcing the voice that they hear in the back of their heads. Uh, it's really interesting to, to, experiencing, to experience that because you know what that tells me is that many of us already know what we can be doing to get to where we wanna go to improve the, the process, to streamline it, to remove the obstacles, to get into flow, but we're just not doing it. And what's interesting, especially in the sales world and in any kind of growth company, it's that default back to what has made me great up till now, which is here, you know, playing the hero, 
and mm-hmm. focusing on what I can do, how hard I can work, all that stuff. Dude, the worst decisions that I've made that have had the outsized impact on my life, massive ways. And, and again, it's not, I'm not saying this from a place of regret because I've owned and learned and integrated from it. So these decisions have also been the greatest gift of my life and they've changed me and I'm thankful for it. But, but they were terrible decisions because why? It appealed to something in me to be the hero. Mm-hmm. I want to swoop in and rescue and save. And when I need to rescue or save or be the hero, to feel motivated, whole, inspired, to make meaning, I'm going to hurt. Yeah, and plus, people. Yeah, and it's exhausting too, man. It's totally Oof. exhausting to do that. Yeah, uh, it's, it, it's it's exhausting and it's debilitating, it's demotivating, uh, and I've found that for myself as well. Um, so if we think if, about, then take. Go ahead, man. I was saying, if you're saying yes to an opportunity and there's a movie scene of great drama playing in your head and you're feeling swept up in the orchestral music while it happens, be warned. True story. <laughs> another, another topic for another day. Uh, but I do, want to help the, I do want to help our listeners kind of move from this idea of focusing on themselves and their leadership to what it takes to actually generate that leveraged team. And I think what, what we've learned is, you know, um, being the leader and focusing on change by thinking about the strategy required to achieve all the things that we've talked about. When you start looking outside of you as a leader to your team, what is the first thing you've got to do inside, you know, when you're looking at the organization that you're, that you're running? And what's interesting for you and I is that we've landed on this idea of alignment and player alignment and balance. Uh, what's interesting about heroes and heroic efforts is that we oftentimes find that the people who are doing those amazing jobs are doing too many jobs. Mm. Uh, they're doing more than they should. They're taking on more than they should. And what that's causing, one is it's, you know, we're now creating jacks of all trades who are masters of none. We are com- making their lives more complex and we're stealing from them the ability to achieve a level of specialization that will allow them to feed their natural desire to be great in a certain area and also allows them to quickly achieve higher levels of performance. Yeah, I mean, nobody long-term is thankful for people that are leading them, that tolerate a place that they live in where they're doing too much, they're on the edge of burnout. You know, they're gonna have to leave you to get healthy. and you know, we, we have to help. We have to give clear lanes and boundaries that they go, oh, yeah, yeah, this is me. This is my space. I'm showing up here with full passion and clarity. I don't want to shy away from these responsibilities. These are things that I would step into with joy all day long. Right, right. So this idea of player alignment, it's really about going back and looking at the roles required to make that team work so it's not it's again it's this is a tough job for the leader because so many of us are used to just finding great people and letting them go to work what we've got to now do is we've got to look at the goals of the organization and really be thoughtful about the roles that we have in place that will get us there and then those role definitions have to be very 
clearly defined so that we can encourage a higher level of specialization in each of those roles. So now we can allow the people who are playing those roles to be very focused on core deliverables and avoid being distracted and also avoid other teammates and other leaders um, taking the easy way out or the lazy way out of, of hiring potentially somebody else and replacing that requirement with, hey, a request, can you just do this? Can you just add this to your plate? Can you add this to your plate? Do you mind if I ask you to do this? It won't take you about another hour or two a week. And all of a sudden we are now continuing that process and um, debilitating our team. We're now taking the team and, and by virtue of the things that we're doing, making it less effective. And to yeah. your point, Chris, making people less likely to stick around. You know, and, and I know that there are people that are like, yeah, but we're, we're small or we're young or we're early. And yeah, if you're shuffling around responsibilities that take one or two hours, it's the wrong conversations. It's got to be things where people are owning big, if you're small, young or early, big strategic functions. And a lot of these tactical things that would take an hour or two or whatever that looks like uh, are fitting under the umbrellas rightly assigned not just a, a catch-all or who can do this. One of the things I used to do years ago to test this when we would be discussing a new strategic initiative, and I would say, okay, who is so passionate about this, you can't not do it? And right. if nobody right. wanted to own it, then we got to reevaluate it. You know. Now, the hero in me at those times would be like, well, I'll own it then. Right, right. And... You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't even make that big of a difference because we think everything is of equal importance, and it's just well, not. Well, to your point, though, I mean, heroic efforts are valuable as companies are growing for the short term. Yes. But you've got to have this perspective that they are short term and that they will be short term, and you have to keep your promise when you tell your team member this is only <laughs> for the short term. Bingo. Uh, yeah. So. We achieve this player alignment. What that allows us to do is invest in player productivity. So once we have our players aligned, now we can invest in systems again that improve productivity because now we've got them in roles that they are clearly qualified for, that they're ideally aligned with, they're highly motivated to, to achieve, and they're defined enough, and the definitions are not gonna change um, mm. enough, they're stable enough, that we can now invest in how do we make them more productive and then, of course, the next step after that is player development. What types of training and improvement can we deploy to help folks get better at their role, to continuously develop so it's not all on them? But if you think about the chain, that we, the value chain that we've built here, it goes all the way back to the leader thinking about how they can improve their leadership of the organization by instituting operating models and accountability systems that help them do their job better, that give them more visibility into the shadows that might be limiting their effectiveness. So again, they don't have to play hero ball. And then they're giving the same gift to each of the teammates, right? Are you the right person for the role? Can we optimize your role definition? Can we deliver systems that make you more productive? And then can I give you training that makes you more effective in that role and feeds your hunger to improve and continuously um, in increase your productivity in that role. And that is what people want. That's fulfilling. And it's a structural 
you know, issue. After you get the leaders healthy, it's a structural issue. Now you do want to change the house. Change the house. Get get into the structure that's going to allow you to flourish and thrive because, you know, this is what people are hungry for. They're leaving if they don't get it. And they're staying and thriving if they do. Um, there was a... Dan Pink wrote the book Drive. You know, he used some different language, but mastery, meaning, and autonomy. People want to get good, really good at something. They want to pick what they get good at. And they want it to be connected to something that gives them a sense of purpose or joy or vision or meaning. And when we provide them a process, datatized process, structured for their ongoing development and growth, man, we spend so much time together. What's it all for if we don't have that? <laughs> right. Right. And so we've got, uh, and so the next, the last component of this is this idea now of transitioning that leader and that leveraged team into this growth culture. And the, the biggest challenge of a culture is that it's not what we put on the walls. It's not what we say the culture is. It's actually what uh, every member of the team experiences. Mm. Um, and so what we have to protect against, so we have to protect against that dilution of our culture as we hire more people, as we expand our workforce. So the the strong operating model and accountability framework the leader puts in place, the alignment that we're able to achieve and productivity and development that we can deliver to the team, those two things conspire to stabilize the organization and to stabilize the foundation of this growth culture. Now what we have to do, be able to do is translate all of that knowledge and wisdom and accomplishment to help us understand who we bring in, one, and what roles we want them to play. Uh, and we want to make sure that they fit into the system versus having them come in and disrupt the system in a negative way. Right? Of course, we want to always get better. If, if people that come into the system can help us get better, that's great. But we don't want we don't want the system to change every time a new person comes on board. We want them yeah. to fit versus to have to figure it out. Yeah. A, a healthy addition amplifies the culture. It doesn't distort or dilute it. So it's going to stay with the system regarding especially like sales processes. Um, but, the, but the human who they are, the experience they bring should make us better. We should change. We're enfolding new perspectives, getting new awareness, you know, a new set of eyes, you know, all these things that are so valuable. But again, it's going to happen in a way that it distorts and dilutes who we are or amplifies who we are. And we want to know up front rather than guessing. And the more I've uh, been around companies over the years, the more I realize it's like, yeah, getting a bunch of drunk monkeys, spin them around in a circle, blindfold them and let them throw that dart at the dartboard. And it doesn't have to be that way. There is less suffering. <laughs> right. And, and we're talking about extremes, but uh, there's wisdom in this model. There's wisdom in this observation for every organization. Um, for any, any leader who is looking at the organization, looking at themselves and wondering, how do we take that next small step or that next incremental step to the next level for the organization. And it doesn't matter if you're operating at a low level or extremely high level. This model, this way of looking at uh, yourself, at your team, and at your culture can help you find those clues, help you find those levers 
uh, that can make all the difference. Beautiful. If they can do it, let's get them. Let's connect with them. Help them. <laughs> Good talking to you, man. I appreciate the conversation. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace. Peace.